This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Welcome, everyone, to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, sitting in studio with producer Mal Pal Mallory. Hello. Hi. Glad to be back after yeah. taking a week off. Yeah, especially because uh, I believe this time last week we were preparing to not leave our houses. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's real nice to be back in the office. Yeah. And uh, we are back in the office, but <laughs> one guy who is still locked in the confines of his apartment, because he's very safe, he's done no longer, I can't say no longer has COVID, but he's no longer experiencing symptoms of COVID. And but still very responsible that he doesn't want to even risk <laughs> potentially spreading it. Mike Craven, how's the apartment? <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty good. Getting kind of old. I chose to have COVID and get snowed in at the same time, so it was an interesting ride last week. You weren't going anywhere anyway, so it's fine, right? That's true. That's yeah, true. last and week I got, was the best I got to miss out it. on my first national signing day in like yeah, thirteen was... years of of career. So that, that was, was an interesting. It was weird just to sit around and. Do almost nothing on yeah. that day. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I do want to, uh, that's a good plug, uh, chance to plug our signing day show. Uh, if you haven't checked it out on YouTube, I believe uh, Pickle's posting all the clips. Uh, we had RJ Maryland of South Lake Carroll committing to SMU, and we had Jack Curtis of Highland Park committing to Air Force. Uh, that is something we do want to do. And so if you are a coach, a parent, whatever, listening to listening to this, and you have somebody, whether they're, 22 and they're uh they're committing later on you know post signing day or whatever or you're early 23 um and you haven't committed or you're thinking about uh, this will be for the, the not around the first signing period because we're all at state that period so it's mm-hmm. a lot weirder intangibles but around the february signing day or again if you're late 22 who from now to the end of the year want to come in feel free i mean we talk we go again go check out the show to see the full breakdown of it, we do a full rundown of their film. We talk about how uh, talk about what they what they kind of add as a player, and then we're, after they're done committing, we talk about what they potentially bring to the program. Um, and that was kind of really cool to kind of uh, I knew about RJ Maryland, but like when he committed to SMU, it was like oh I, now I really know how he fits here because SMU has been pumping out tight ends uh, the past couple of years. So. And it was cool just to have them in studio too, and yeah. And- to see them experience that and that was our first time ever experiencing a, a signing day show too so we had a blast as, yeah. on this side as well mm-hmm. and so I think- y'all did a great job y'all did an absolute great job I, I got to sit around and kind of watch that and just be a fly on the wall from here or whatever and uh yeah it was it was a really fun thing i hope it's something that we can do more and more not just on signing day but you know if you want to commit in april mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. you know call us up come to the studio and you can do that live commitment yep definitely because we uh we do want we, we you know the goal is to have the big ESPN like you know hats. There you know I love that Jack Curtis and RJ Maryland uh, brought their own flavor. Right, they brought mm-hmm. the hats. They did the hat science, um, and it's all it's it's their their show completely. Right, it's not we don't want to tell you how to commit. We're just giving you the platform. So if anybody wants to do whatever they want to commit, you know we're all game for that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, moving on. Past signing day. Oh, that was a big rush having two signing days, especially. 
It felt like this second one seemed a bit busier. Obviously, we had the show, so that was part of it. But it did seem like there was a lot more hinging on this past signing day as opposed to previous um, February signing days. I don't know if you kind of got that, Craven, from this year. I did. I believe it's a, another byproduct of the NIL stuff. I mm-hmm. think guys, you know, a couple of them at least wanted some extra time or used that extra time to kind of leverage NIL deals, kind of see what was lining up at each school and have another month, month and a half to really look to see, you know, how their money would be impacted by going to, to LSU or Florida over A&M or Alabama, kind of what that would look like. And so I do think we may see some more and more of the top level guys, mm-hmm. maybe getting that extra six weeks to buy some time. But for the most guys, I still think you got to commit early because with this transfer portal and stuff like that, you got to guarantee your spot or you may not have one. Oh yeah, for sure. hundred um, percent. With that being said, with typically once that starts wrapping up, we really start getting into draft talk for college guys um, that have left. We had the senior bowl, I believe, last weekend. Um, of course, the combine just announced their participants, uh, or at least from um, their, their invitees. I don't know if all of them are officially participating, but uh, we have a list on textfootball.com. We have uh, Mike Cravens putting together a college news tracker. Small things that probably don't deserve a whole article, but coordinator hires, assistant hires, uh, key transfers, and recently, like I mentioned, with the invitees to the NFL Combine, AM leads with nine. Probably not surprising considering they're the talent they've pumped out of there, especially on defense this past year. Baylor is right there at seven. And then everybody else, basically three and two and one. So it's it's AM, Baylor, and everybody else as far as invites go. Um, guys like Michael Clemens, Kenyon Green. Damar Leal, Terrell Bernard, Tristan Ebner, Jalen Petrie, like guys that you would expect to be on that list of players that scouts want to see. Um, unsurprisingly, are the guys taken? Uh, are the guys being looked at? Craven, what do you think about Baylor and AM kind of spearheading uh, the, the invite list? Yeah, I mean, I know it's an inexact science, but I think recruiting rankings can tell you a lot about what the perception of a program is mm-hmm. and where NFL combine invites can kind of tell you where the development of a program is. And, and you can really see, you know, A&M and Baylor separating themselves in terms of talent developers. I think UTSA with three was also pretty impressive because they're doing it on a smaller scale um, than maybe some of the other schools. But yeah, Baylor's seven. I, you know, I think they're they're guys you would you would think. I think Jalen Petrie has a has a chance to really show off his coverage skills because he kind of fits into a weird mold. Is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? Is he a you know is he a coverage safety? Can he play nickel? Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of answers um, that he can provide there with his times and stuff like that. Another guy I think is Tyree Johnson from A and M. I think we we talk about Demarvin Leal. Jaden Peavy even on that defensive line more than him, but he had some really high sack numbers. He can be a really uh, good threat off the edge, pa- uh, rushing the passer. And as we know in the NFL, that can be such a valuable commodity that he may get drafted a little bit higher than maybe his college production would suggest. Yeah, I think one of the things with the combine is there are things that are taken too uh, too seriously, and then there are things that I think get underrated. What the combine isn't is. This isn't really no, – nobody's going to, in my opinion, in the past, nobody's going to bust into the top five that wasn't a first-round pick, right? This isn't like the the over – like I think too much is put in the 40-yard time. Maybe if you're, you know, if you're Al Davis of past years, like, yes, 40 time will probably determine whether or not you spend a first-round pick on a guy, even though it probably shouldn't. But the overall, to me, what the guys that use the combine, the guys that explode at the combine are the ones that – maybe didn't whether they didn't fit a system or they just didn't really mesh that well but you know the physical tools that some guys have 
um, maybe the guys that didn't put up the best year for what we expected from them. This is where they can kind of get back on the radar. A guy that I think could really use this is a DeMarvin Leal. I think that this is a guy who was probably seen as a top 5, 10-ish pick heading into the year. Didn't have the dominating year. Part of it was because I think he was a big focus for a lot of uh, offenses. And obviously the rest of the defense for AM just kind of broke out. And so he was still probably the best player or one of the best probably top two or three players on that defense. But as far as his individual production, I don't think it skyrocketed the way I think people thought it would. And I think it got a little lost that this guy's still kind of a physical freak. So I look at him as somebody who can maybe work his way back into that first round. Um, I think he's, I've seen roughly like early second, late first, whatever, but I think he's somebody who people can be like, Oh, right. I forgot about this guy from last year. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. Kenyon Green as well yep. uh, at A&M is going to, you know, he's he's kind of on that line between first and second round. So, yeah, I, mean, I think you can solidify your spot. And then I, I, I think you can get yourself into some eyes, right? Mm-hmm. If you're like a sincere McCormick at, at, from UTSA or uh, DeMarcus Fields from Texas Tech, maybe guys that aren't name brand dudes from the NFL standpoint, mm-hmm. can you impress with a time or a lift or a jump or something that stands out from the pack? That makes guys go, okay, I need to go look at, you know, this last year of film and see what they're about. Yep. All righty. So, by the episode title, you know that we are continuing our interview series. Uh, we've had, God, I'm blanking already. No, I'm kidding. We've had Sonny Dykes and we've had Dana Holgerson on. Uh, we wanted to go pretty big and we've done that and we are continuing to do that. This week, Mike Craven sat down with Texas Tech head coach Joey McGuire um, I sat in on it. I asked one question at the end, but I was mostly just there to kind of produce and host the thing. But, uh, Craven, before we get into that interview, let's talk a little bit about um, a little bit about it. The thing I like most about Joey McGuire is that, I, and I feel like we probably probably should have asked him this: Does how much caffeine does he drink? Because like <laughs> Dana Hol- we, you know, that was a thing for Dana Holgerson, where it was like obviously the Red Bull stuff. Um, I don't know if Joey McGuire drinks coffee. Like, I don't think he needs it. I was about no. to say, like, I don't think, like, that kind of personality, I mean, he probably does, you know, everybody's human, they probably need some, some, sort of, some sort of jolt, but I don't know, like, that doesn't, he doesn't seem like a guy that's like, I've had six cups of coffee and I'm ready to go. Right. He just seems like a guy who's permanently on. <laughs> well, when I listened to this, when I played it back, yeah. I listened to just the audio version. I didn't watch the full Zoom version. Right. And just listening to McGuire's voice, yeah. I can tell everything that he is saying he's saying with like a smile on his face just yeah. from the tone of his voice yes. he's just so happy and and just so into it well part of that part of it's that texas twang that he has. Like yeah it, you're it's right like, it's like it's not the <laughs> hardcore like stereotype twang but it is like oh that's a dude from texas uh-huh and, and, exactly uh, yep. there's not many guys that have better energy than joey mcguire yeah he just feels good to talk to he feels mm-hmm. good to be around you can tell why he's so magnetic mm-hmm. and why so Many of the other high school coaches kind of sing his praises. Why so many of his former players sing his praises? Why he why he's been able to work himself into the Cedar Hill gig and now the Texas Tech gig without being a coordinator at, at any level? I mean, you you can just you don't have to be around him all that much to kind of go, oh, okay, I get, it. I get why everybody I know says good things about this guy mm-hmm. um, and it comes through on that interview right I mean it, yeah. it's February he didn't have to do it and he's just excited to do it in the uh, middle of the day on a Monday and it's yeah it's just a it's just a nice refreshing thing for for anybody but specifically for a head football coach and you hope that 
that stays as true in year 10 as a head coach as it is in year one. And just knowing him personally, I would imagine it does. Yeah. I, th- I think it's very, it's very cool to see um, for obvious, the obvious reasons like him and Jeff trailer, obviously, but I think it's also interesting to see their personalities because they're two, they're cut from the same cloth, but in, but they're very different pieces of fabric. If you know what I mean? Uh, we mentioned Joey McGuire is definitely always on and Jeff trailer is definitely like, don't get me wrong. He's very friendly. Every time I've interacted with him, he's had, you know, it's been a great time, but he's definitely not the constant ball of energy. He's much more reserved. He's much more like, uh, while Joey McGuire is the guy that will, will yell at you like, Hey, what's up across the room? <laughs> like if he sees you through like a sea of like 3000 people, you'll be able to see him. Um, jo- uh, Jeff trailer is like the guy that'll like, he, he'll see you and then he'll kind of make his way through the crowd. And then like, just kind of like talk to you in person. Like it's very interesting to see the two different types of dynamic, the two dynamics of a Texas high school coach in the college ranks, because they're both successful in their own right, but doing it totally different ways. Mm-hmm. righty, So we will go ahead and get into that interview. Again, these interviews, I'm going to keep reiterating it. These interviews aren't about spring camp. They aren't about, you know, you're not going to hear us ask about Tyler Shuck in this. Sorry. Uh, we have a whole offseason to write about that. This is about mostly, and it'll vary, obviously, from coach to coach, but this is about their start, them as a person. You know, yes, we'll ask them about what drew them to certain jobs and what drew them to the job they're at in particular, but a lot of it is about just what are they doing? What what's what kind of, what got them into coaching? Um, Craven asked a great question about, how awkward it was to kind of come in when there was still an interim staff there knowing Joey's personality to where he really can't interact with the players the way he wants to. He had a great answer for that. Um, and so, yeah, that that's what these interviews are going to be, and we'll hopefully have some more lined up. Uh, took a break off to kind of give sign- these guys some, some uh, time to do signing day and hit the roads again. So now that we're in that lull period in between spring and camp, we're going to be hopefully getting these back on a weekly basis. So... Anyway, but that, without further ado, here is Texas Tech head coach Joey McGuire. So here with Joey McGuire, head coach of the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Coach, before we get into kind of your journey through coaching, I want to know the scouting report of Joey McGuire, the football player back at Crowley High School. <laughs> big effort guy. That's That was my big effort guy. You know, the one thing I do think uh, everybody would say is a team player. You know, I loved – Loved everything about football, locker room, uh, the workouts, being around the guys, and then probably football-wise, I don't know how good I was, but I was definitely a big effort guy. How early did you know you wanted to get into coaching? Was it already in high school? Was it even before that? Was it in college? Kind of when did the the bug kind of catch you? You know, it's crazy. My dad, um, he he's, he's Coach McGuire and Crowley. He coached. You know, everybody, and, and even in Texarkana, we lived in Texarkana, he coached all kinds of different sports and coached me and my sister and and everybody else. And so I helped him a lot whenever um, just different times he needed another first base coach or, you know, whatever, whenever I was in high school. And I really loved it, um, but it was kind of a deal. It's like uh, my mom and most of her side are in the medical field and I wanted to be a CRNA or I thought I did. And so I literally was getting ready to start nursing school. I finished all my prereqs and I just kept getting this pull of, man, you're supposed to coach. You're supposed to coach. So I, I flipped my, uh, I changed my major and, um, and, you know, I'm glad I did, but changed my major and, and graduated from UTA and then, 
started substituting while I was doing my alternative certification at Crowley. And that's really kind of how I got started. And then it didn't take you all that long to become a head coach, you know, like relatively speaking at, at Cedar Hill there. What is it like to be a head coach for the first time? Man, I lost about 16 pounds, um, you know, just working nonstop. You know, I just uh, it, it was funny. My and she's one of my best friends and, and I think one of the best ADs to ever be an athletic director in, in Texas, Gina Farmer. You know, I was <clears throat> I was probably about a month on the job and she was like, Joey, it's going to be here tomorrow. You're killing yourself. And we hadn't even come close to playing a game yet. You need to go home and, and it'll be here tomorrow or start delegating um, some different stuff. And so uh, I, I think that that first time you're a head coach, uh, you want to make sure you're right. You're doing everything right. You're covering all your bases and um it, at that time, I guess I wasn't smart enough to let some of my other coaches do some stuff. And so I was really like taking on anything and everything. And now I'm one of those people I always say yes. And so I was going everywhere, trying to be at the Rotary Club, at the Lions Club, at, you know, everything that, that needed to be done as a head coach. And so um, it was stressful. I would not change it for the world. I had a blast every moment, but I learned a lot in those first couple months being a head coach. You know, people my age consider Cedar Hill like this football powerhouse, right? But it wasn't always that way. You had never been to the playoffs before you got there. Um, I have your record right here. You went 141 and 42 uh, over 14 seasons, won three state titles. I'm curious which team was the best, right? If we could put any of those teams on 06, 12, 14, like which of those teams uh, kind of were the best on, on the field? Well, I'm never, you know, you got to say 06. 06 went 16 and 0. Um, they, they were the first. Like, you know, like when you went to 12 and 13 and 14, those guys were already like, we are Cedar Hill. And so when they stepped off the bus, there was already this mystique of having to play us. And in 2006, nobody knew who we were. You know, nobody expected anything from us. And so they kind of carried, uh, they kind of, carried this burden of you know the unknown and and being 16 and 0 I think they would you know definitely they would definitely say they were the best they would be you know they're tough to handle um every one of those teams had their own identity I always tell everybody I'm as proud as any team in the 2012 team where we lost the state championship um just because I think up until that point we were still kind of known as this one hit wonder um, we were we were a powerhouse program, but we couldn't win it again. And getting back to that state championship game kind of validated everything that we were doing there at Cedar Hill. Was it harder to get the, the program kind of going and get that first state title, or was it harder towards the end where you had to kind of keep it going with all those expectations? Well, you know, that's a that, man, that's that is a great question. And I go back and forth with that answer. I mean, it's kind of like the, literally it's kind of like the chicken and the egg because it's hard to win and it's hard to build those expectations. But I think it's harder to sustain winning when you can sustain winning because people get satisfied. People, um, you know, just kind of expect things. And, and so I think if you watch a lot of teams, they've got that one good year and then they can't sustain it whenever they have. And it's like, 
you know, they're living on the success or they kind of relax and take a deep breath. And, and so I think, honestly, I think sustaining winning over a long period of time is tougher than getting it turned around. Like I said, 14 seasons at Cedar Hill, you probably could have stayed there, you know, forever and stayed in high school football, however long you wanted to. What were the motivations or reasons that you wanted to explore coaching in college? Well, you know, it's funny you, you say that because whenever I, the morning I woke up to interview with Matt Rule, my wife literally said, you're not going to take the job. You're going to be at Cedar Hill for the rest of your life. And literally, if I would be at Cedar Hill for the rest of my life, I'd be the happiest person in the world. Man, um, I love that place. And, and we just, you know, we had such great support. Um, and, you know, it was, I had such great administration and, and the coaching staff, we had been together for so long. But, you know, it was almost like uh, for me, <clears throat> it was I needed something different. I needed something new to, you know, I'm a lifelong learner. Uh, I pride myself on that. And not that I was really getting in a rut because I wanted to, I mean, Mike, you know me, man, I want to win. So it was like every day was a challenge to find a way to motivate these guys and everything. But just it would, it got to a point to where I was like, you know, it's time for me to do something different. And it was perfect timing if I was going to do it. My son, my daughter had already graduated and she was in, in college and my son was getting ready to go to college. So it was perfect timing for me to be able to do something different and, and step out into the college world. Now, you and I have kind of talked about this before, but, but was it tough to kind of check the ego at the door going from head coach, three-time state champion to tight end coach, right? Like how do you kind of take that step backwards, probably the wrong way to put it, but how do you kind of go about kind of changing your mindset? Well, you know, uh, Coach Rule asked me that. He goes, how are you going to do this? And I told him, I said, well, I listened to my wife. She's my boss. I listened to Gina Farmer. She's my boss. I have a superintendent that tells me exactly what I need to do. I said, so I said, I've been a good soldier, you know, and um, I think we aligned. I, I, you know, honestly, I just got off the phone with him, literally just got off the phone with him. And um, I don't know if I've ever aligned with another coach the way I did with Coach Rule. So I think if it would have been somebody else, I would, it would have been a struggle. But, you know, I learned so much from him, but it was also, we would come into the office and he would say, hey, here's what we're going to do. And I was like, man, in my mind, it's like, that's exactly what we should be doing. So it was easier probably to, um, you know, follow him and be that assistant coach. Like I would have probably struggled with somebody that, well, number one, I don't think I would have taken a job with somebody just to take a job and be in college that I wasn't aligned with. But honestly, I don't know if I've ever aligned with another person like Matt Rule. What was it about him, right? Like, I mean, you're not the only person I've heard in the coaching ranks is kind of like seeing the praises of Matt Rule. What, what made him so special or what makes him so special? Well, you know, first he puts the, the players first, you know, and that's genuine. That's not some, you know, kind of catchphrase or logo or anything like that. Like he genuinely puts the players first. You know, he's got a great plan to graduate kids in three and a half years and he wants them to be working on their masters. And so – there was so many things off the field. He holds them very accountable of the way they carry themselves, um, the way they treat women. And, and um, so that was, that was huge. And then the toughness, you know, I mean, 
at Cedar Hill. I'll remember a, a, a good friend of mine came and watched us practice. It was in round three and it was on a Tuesday practice. And he was like, my God, y'all hit during practice. And I was like, well, that's probably why you're watching and not coaching right now. I mean, this is a physical sport and we're going to do it smart and we're going to have a quick whistle, but we're going to be physical during practice. And, and so that's how coach rule, you know, it was like everything lined up, up that, man, I wanted to be a part of this guy's staff. And so, um, I, but the, I still go back because that's how I am. It's all about the players. Like at the end of the day, we had a staff meeting this morning and I told them again, you know, we have three kind of main things in our program. And I said, if you can't recite these, if you don't know them by heart, if you can't explain them, then you're really not one of us, you know? And the, the point of all that is, we're going to get the football right, but that's not why we're going to win. I mean, so many people are winning with all kinds of different football X's and O's. We're going to win because our kids care about each other. We care about them, and we're going to be really tough. Uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had a chance to follow Coach Rule to the NFL, correct? I guess what what stopped you from doing that? What kept you in the college ranks? Well, yeah, I, I did. I had a chance a couple times. He always messes with me. He says, I'm the only guy that's turned him down twice. And, and um, you know, it's uh, – I really believe that I'm put on this earth to develop men. And not to say that you can't do that in the NFL, but when you're talking to multimillionaires and, you know, they're at a point, you know, to where they have families and they – uh, have their brand it's different I mean I know that that you can affect those guys but not like you can high school and college players and so I really believe that's my calling and and um, so that that was the main reason that I didn't make the move. Matt Rule leaves to go to the NFL you and Dave Aranda kind of famously the finalist there at, at Baylor what did you learn from that process and, and I'm assuming kind of the disappointment when you didn't get that job yeah you know it was really tough because um, you know I, I think the biggest reason that I was so attracted to that job one you've got a really good administration uh, the president and AD are our first class um, but the way we recruit, we recruit as a staff. And so that, that team was recruited. I was a part of every one of those guys um, recruiting wise. And, you know, and I'm really close to my players and I love them and care about them. And so um, the, the biggest thing with that job was those guys were my babies. You know, they were, they were guys that we went into houses and had in-home visits and told their parents that we we're going to take care of them. And, you know, making sure they're going to class and going through the academic, our academic center and checking on them. And so the attraction was, you know, these are my guys. And, you know, I wanted to be a part of continuing the success that we were able to build over the three years that, that we were there. So I think that was a big reason. And it was tough. Um, and then I, I always tell everybody it, it takes a big coach and a big man to be able to, uh, allow somebody to stay whenever they've been up for the job and not only up for the job, but the final two. And so I give a lot of credit to coach Aranda of what kind of person he is to, you know, keep me and, and let me be in the role that I was in. Well, and then how, how tough was it? I mean, we talked about checking the ego a little bit earlier, but you don't get the head coaching job, but you stay on the staff. Was there any 
kind of talk about leaving Baylor after that, or how did that kind of come about? No, that was what, well, you know, I, there was, I had three opportunities to go. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, my son was the main reason and my son and daughter were the reason I stayed in high school for so long. But, you know, he said, Joe, he said, coach, I'll coach. He said, dad, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. But he had, he was graduating in December, you know, and he's a coach and he said, you know, I really want to finish what we've started here with the guys that, you know, his class is this class that just really uh, won the Big 12 championship. And so um, we stayed, you know, it, he would have gone if I would have left and I had some opportunities to leave. He would have gone with me, but he really didn't want to. You know, he wanted to finish off with those guys, the Abe Smith and the Tristan Ebner and R.J. Sneeds and all those guys. So, you know, when they gave me the opportunity to stay, that was an easy decision because – you know, this last year has been really tough. It's probably the toughest year of my life as far as dad-wise because it's the first year I've ever been away from him. And, you know, my daughter went to Texas Tech, so she was away and everything like that with him. I mean, he he left Cedar Hill and, and came to Baylor, so we've been, been together all the way up until this last year. You know, you're, you've never been a coordinator, right, even at the at the high school level. How did you kind of go about adopting a, an offensive style and a defensive style that you really liked in, in coach? Well, the, the one thing early, I mean, really early, probably my third year in coaching, it really started my first year. I was the head freshman baseball coach and, uh, you know, fell in love with being the head coach, setting everything up. And so um, – Whenever we would have a coach leave with Coach Woods, I would ask him. So we had an outside linebacker coach leave. I'm coaching tight ends. I said, well, hey, how about hiring a tight ends coach and let me coach outside linebackers? Then our secondary coach left. And I was like, well, hey, coach, how about me coach secondary and you hire an outside linebackers coach? And so doing all that, the reason I did that is because I want to learn the game from different positions. And, and so – you know, I've coached – I haven't coached quarterbacks, but between the college and, and high school and college level, I've coached everything but running backs and receivers. And so all, everything on defense, and I coached the O-line and the tight ends um, whenever I was in high school and, and, and at Baylor. So it's just one of those deals that this was how I was going to learn and really learn the entire uh, aspect of coaching all the positions. We kind of see head coaches go from like coordinator to head coach and they're married to that philosophy. And a lot of times they're hired because of that, right? You hire right. Arkeesian at, at Texas to run his offense or Dave Aranda at Baylor to run that defense. Is it an advantage to not really be kind of married to a system, quote unquote, in that way to where you're, you're more of a head coach than you are an offensive or a defensive play caller? Well, I think – I will tell you this. I think it's an advantage coming from high school to college to understanding um, this is what you have, and so this is your roster, and how can you be successful with the guys that you have on your team and what you can do. So I think that background of putting that all together um, is definitely going to help. Um, you know, I always tell you – know, I said it in our interview um, – there's a lot of people that are getting jobs and, and deservingly. I mean, like everybody's got to get a chance. Like Gina Farmer and Dr. Gibson and Holly T gave me a chance to be a head coach at Cedar Hill. So you got to have your chance. But there's a lot of guys that are getting uh, chances 
because maybe the culture that was developed by the head coach and they were a part of that culture, but that was not their culture. You know, and my point was at, at Cedar Hill, we changed the culture and I spearheaded it. I had great offensive coordinator, great defensive coordinators, but the ideas were mine and where we wanted to go. And I think there's a lot of times, you know, guys, you know, are getting jobs off of what they do, they've done maybe offensively or defensively. But a lot of times those teams were winning before they ever got there. You know, they might have improved them, but they were still winning before they got there. And so um, I, that was my kind of one of my spills in my interview process is like, if you want to change this, I've, I was a part of it at Baylor, but I was a part of it. I wasn't the guy doing it. That was Matt Rule. And so I think it's really important, you know, to see that uh, side of it too, whenever you're talking about developing, changing cultures. You're the fourth head coach hired at Texas Tech in the last 12 years. So speaking to that, how do you kind of go into a, a locker room that's had a decent amount of changes and establish that culture you want to kind of ride out for a, a long time? Well, you know, it's just who we are and, and we try to put it in black and white. We try to eliminate as much gray. Um, they hear it every single day. Uh, I've hired an incredible strength staff and one of uh, Lance Barlow is my head strength coach. And one of his gifts is being able to take my message and put it in the weight rooms message every single day. You know, our message this week is talking about mental toughness and, you know, I've heard two of my favorite people, Phil Snow and Jeff Trailer, both talk about being mentally tough as being where your feet are, being where your feet are right now, you know, and, and so that's our message of the week. And I delivered it last week during our team meeting and Wednesday's kind of our big culture day. And, and Lance has such a phenomenal gift to being able to translate that, that into the weight room. And so I think the biggest thing is, you know, being genuine, letting these guys see who you are, care, care about them off the field as much as you do of what they're doing in the building, and then being consistent, being the same guy every single day. When they get to me, they're going to get the same guy no matter what. You know, I always tell everybody, I get this from my mom, when my feet hit the floor, you know, you got a choice. You know, and most of the time, if you just choose to have a good day, you're going to have a good day, even when bad things happen you're still going to have a good day. And so, uh, you know, I always tell the players, and I believe this, when my feet hit the floor, I'm trying to find out how can I help them be the best version of themselves? How can I help them, the team be the best version of them? And so they get the same guy every single day. Uh, when I came and saw you, when you first got the job, they had you, you know, kind of tucked away at Jones Stadium in an office where you kind of had to like wave to keep the lights on and stuff. It looks like you kind of got your office going there. <laughs> uh, what were those like six weeks like kind of behind the scenes for you when you're not, you're not allowed to be the coach that you're used to being, right? So right. How, how hard was that? Well, you know, it was hard, re really hard because – I mean, I wasn't coaching, and so that's the hardest thing, man. I mean, I love coaching. I love being on the grass. I love being a part of the day-to-day -day and the decision-making. Um, but it also allowed me to really evaluate the team. Um, it allowed me to have time to put the right staff together, um, you know, and, and so I think we're in that spot. You know, I feel really good about our staff we put together. 
I feel good about the direction that we're going with the team. And so as tough as it was, it also allowed me to do that. And then the other thing it allowed me to do is to, uh, build relationships with uh, some people that, you know, probably didn't see the head coach as much, you know, just maybe one or once a week or even like once every couple of weeks in Kirby's area and Kirby's office. It allowed me to build a lot of relationships with people that really understand Texas Tech. And so I got was able to I was able to get feedback from them of things that they've seen over the last X amount of years. You've talked about this. You're you're kind of a unicorn in coaching, right? Where you've only been at four four stops in your whole your whole career now, including this one right here. What made Texas Tech a, a place where you thought you could kind of continue on that path of, of finding a job and staying in that job for a really long time? Well, you you have great administrative support. Um, you have great financial support. You have regents that um, are really back in the program and stepping up. So the facilities, when we get this thing going, are going to be second to none. I mean, we'll be as good as anybody in the nation. That's always good whenever you do that. Uh, we're in the state of Texas where you have the greatest high school football being played in the nation. And so we're able to recruit the state, you know, and you have some what's good is you've got such strong bordering states um, to recruit also. Um, but there is a, I mean, I really believe there's this, you know, West Texas, blue collar, um, tough uh, mindset, you know, and um, I mean, I feel like in my 14 years at, at Cedar Hill, we had some incredible players, but we were tough. You know, we were physical. We, lo we loved contact and we put a lot of work in. And I felt like uh, at times some people not, might not have, thought it that way, but I felt like we we're a blue collar team. And so my mentality and mindset, you know, it's a perfect example. I set our brand, our brand is the toughest, hardest working, most competitive team in the country. And the president, President Skubanek said, well, that is West Texas. And I was like, you're exactly right. That is West Texas. And so um, it was a place that, you know, I knew that it could be special. Um, and I knew that they were serious about winning and, and I wanted to be a part of that. And then I'm telling you, man, like, I don't know if y'all have heard about it or seen anything, but that Texas game the other night in basketball, just the, the fans. What's crazy, though, is we have a junior day against Mississippi State on Saturday and it's just as packed and they're going just as crazy. The they were doing it for a different reason, probably because of who we were playing. But I mean, you had 15,000 on a Tuesday night against Iowa State, just guys going crazy. I mean, people going crazy. So the fan base is fanatical, you know, and they, they want to win. And so that, of course, drew me uh, to this place also. Texas Tech is the eighth program, eight, eight out of 12 programs since 2000 that have hired a head coach that used to be a Texas high school football coach. You know, only Texas, A&M, TCU, and UTEP have it. TCU, Sonny Dykes did coach for a year in high school, so maybe we can, we can make it nine. But why do you think that trend has sped up so much over the last 20 years? Well, you, you, you had some guys that have come into this, and, and, and I, I tell coaches, like, don't think I don't walk out on the grass every single day and carry the THSCA flag. Like, 
You know, um, I told a story the other day, my very first spring practice the night before I'm in my office and I'm going through my individual drills and making sure I knew exactly what was going on. And coach rule was like, Hey, let's go eat. And I was like, coach, I got to finish this up. And he was like, I just, I'm the head coach. I just asked you to eat. And I was like, coach, I got to make sure I'm ready to go. And he was like, why? And I said, when I step on the field tomorrow, I'm stepping on the field for every Texas high school coach that's dreamt about this, that their goal is to do this, and I'm not going to screw it up. And so I think we've had some people come before me, you know, that um, have had success. I think uh, the connections that you can make being a high school coach and moving to college, you know, you, you have that connection to where you can pick up the phone and, and call guys that really know you. And um, I think it's important, really important nowadays to be able to have the relationship um, with an ever-changing roster uh, with, between the transfer portal and everything else that you're able to get on the phone with a high school coach and make sure that the parents understand what kind of coach their kid's coming to. To You know, we don't want to lose kids to the portal. We want, we want to make sure we're developing and we're here. So I think being a high school coach and understanding those relationships helps, and I think the administrations are really seeing that. All right, I had a, yeah, I had a quick question. Uh, just one to cap things off. We had your boy uh, Frank Sandoval on, uh, current head coach of West Mesquite, on our watch along during the season, and he mentioned when he was there at Cedar Hill when you guys played in AT and T, you had a policy with the screen. <laughs> Could you explain what that policy was? Uh, is my first question, and then two, are you did you bring it to Baylor, and can we expect it when Tech gets to AT and T? Can we expect that same policy? Yeah, when we play for the Big 12 championship, they're not going to be looking up. Um, so, you know, it, that screen is like a, it, you're like a bug to a, you know, a, a light. You just like it draws you up, you know. And and um, I always told the coaches, uh, I can understand if you're in the box, if you're looking, but I look, I literally looked down the sideline one time and every single person is looking up and I'm like, guys, that's not where the game's being played. It's being played out on the field. And so uh, there was some guys that, you know, got their tails ripped a little bit. Sandy was probably one of them. Um, but I would tell them going into the games, you know, focus on it. It goes back to what we said earlier, be where your feet are, you know, and, and uh, don't let uh, that big screen distract you. Um, and it, it's, it's tough. It's distracting. I've caught myself do it before. Um, but it's just one of those deals of, being mentally tough and being focused on the field. And we'll definitely take it when we play for the Big 12 championship. We're going to take it uh, to make sure you're watching what's going on and not looking up. All right, Coach. We really appreciate the time. I know it's busy. Good luck with uh, spring practice coming up, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Come out and see us. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Appreciate y'all. Absolutely. Thank you again to Texas Tech head coach Joey McGuire and Texas Tech uh, administration for setting that up for us. Uh, always a pleasure working with them. Um, so, Craven, let's talk tech for a little bit. Uh, it's such a weird, it's such a weird thing to kind of obviously to project ahead in February, but in particular with a head coach like Joey McGuire because there's obviously, understandably, a lot of hype surrounding the program right now. 
Um, he's, from what we can see, recruiting very well, recruiting strongly. There's a lot of uh, excitement behind what he's doing there. He's assembled a staff that I'm very much a fan of. Um, guys like Emmett Jones and Kenny Perry, with high school roots mm-hmm. coming back, um, coming back to Texas. But, you know, what are the real, like, realistic expectations for a team that kind of scrapped to bowl eligibility? Um, they bring in, you know, it's, it's, it's a different system. I mean, it's more or less an air raid. Um, and I don't know. What are your expectations for a team that has a lot of excitement and we can see the, 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 the model and the concept of what's being built? But, I mean, right now there's some, there's some speed bumps on the road. It does feel like a long-term uh, project for McGuire more than a short-term. I don't think there's something you can just walk in and all of a sudden this is a 9-3, and 10-2 team that's competing for a Big 12 championship. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at last year, 6-6 uh, six and six with the bowl game was about what they were. I, I do think that was about a fair you know, result for their talent, what they were able to do. They over- overcame a, a coaching change in the middle of the year. They played really hard for Sonny Cumbie and that interim staff. So you know the guys on that roster – are there to fight and you haven't seen a lot of transfers or guys leaving leaving the program either in the offseason so mm-hmm. i do think that speaks to kind of the locker room culture and the guys that they have on the roster i, I think it's a pretty decent roster yeah. but eight and four nine and three to me is the ceiling in the regular season you don't want to take a step backwards obviously they should be as good if not better in 2022 as they were in 2021 but i do think there is a worry anytime a, a new head coach comes in with as much energy as, as Joey McGuire is infused into that program that your expectations can get a little too far out in front of you and that can lead to disappointment whereas if you kind of keep things in mind that this is a team that you know fired their coach in October uh, of 2021 you know I think a seven and five eight and four season uh, would be would be good and it's more about how they're playing and how close those games are and what they look like in those games than it is than it is the record in my opinion right I think that you you mentioned something very very important that this is this is a rebuilding team but not in the sense that this is a tear it down and rebuild right i think one of the things that matt wells did a decent job of probably not to or definitely not to the extent that they wanted obviously but i think he did a decent job of bringing of maintaining a talent influx for texas tech i think that they are i think they're more or less set at quarterback Mm -hmm. i you know say what you want about tyler shuck i don't think he he didn't got he didn't get a full year so he really couldn't see but i liked a lot of what i saw from him i think keeping baron morton as a prominent prospect uh there was was a huge huge for them i think getting donovan smith some some reps was huge for them as well like i think their quarterback room is set and from what it seems like from that zach kitley hire Joey yeah. McGuire is throwing everything on that quarterback position, and I think you have the guys to make it work for a couple years. You know, if if Shuck's not the guy next year, you can move Baron Morton into that role right away, or and neither of them work out. You know, you have Donovan Smith there that's going to help out as well. Like um, defensively, they did get better. Obviously, um, I do wonder how that's going to play with with Zach Kittley's kind of style, but uh, there is talent on this roster. So don't when we say rebuild, don't expect us. Don't we're not saying that this is going to go four and eight. Right. We're not saying this is going to go five wins or whatever. This is something this is definitely a bowl eligible team that unfortunately probably has a very strict ceiling. But I think the floor is very measurable, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and an interesting thing that will be something to watch at Texas Tech is the Kitley offense. Right. Because, mm-hmm. you know, that McGuire wants to run the football. They want to kind of look like what they look like against Mississippi State in the bowl game. They bullied Mississippi State. They yeah. really like ran over Mississippi State and uh, played a really physical game with a lot of running the football. 
But if you look at Kitley's last year there at Western Kentucky, even at Houston Baptist with Bailey Zappi, they threw so much mm. that you're, I'm wondering where that middle ground is going to be. I, I, I would imagine a lot of the reason Kitley threw so much was because he had Bailey Zappi and such a good passing offense. It'll be interesting to see where he kind of lands in a, in a Texas Tech in terms of play calling percentage-wise pass to run. I think Joe McGuire had a, had a great first signing class. I think yeah. he, had, he did a really good job there. Uh, which guys should we kind of keep an eye out for heading into the 2022 season? Some young freshmen. Yeah. It's, it's kind of guys he pulled. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because typically you don't – I it felt to me like – and maybe this is, just be a, this is a sign of the time, but it felt like to me that Joey McGuire finished pretty strong compared to a head coach who – and, again, that's probably because they hired him so mm-hmm. early um, – Usually these are more transition classes and they kind of just kind of scrapping together a class and, you know, you really don't judge them. I mean, Sark's a perfect example. You don't really judge him based off the 2021 class as opposed to the 22 class because um, he was mostly just like patching together mm-hmm. a bunch of signings. Um, but I felt Joey McGuire, there was a lot and he's kind of segued that into the 2023 uh, class. There were some good signings here. I like Landon Hullaby. I like like... Um, I'm trying to find uh, uh, Ty Kana. Like, I like a lot of these guys, and I'm kind of fascinated to see what he sees or what, what, how much of these are like, okay, we just needed some bodies, or like, is he like, okay, I'm going to go like J- Jalen Pe- We got Jalen Peoples. Like, he's, yeah. a, you know, he's a potentially like early first year starter for us, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think picking up Koi Eakin late was pretty interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wide receiver that had a big day in the state uh, championship game. Mm-hmm. You know, Sincere Massey from Cedar Hill is a really good guy. They added eight transfers as well, where I think we'll see more. Um, those guys kind of make an, an immediate impact, maybe more than the high school signees of Michael mm-hmm. Shanahan at offensive line, even a Monroe Mills at offensive line. They may have added three new starters through the transfer portal along their offensive line. So that's, yeah. that's a good sign. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean – I think one of the reasons that Texas Tech made the move in midseason to, to not only get rid of Matt Wells but to hire Joey McGuire mm-hmm. was to not lose this cycle, was to keep was to keep a, a signing day cycle uh, intact and to, to get a head start on the transfer portal. He was able to do that, a, a good class, and like you said, already a lot of momentum built into the 2023 class where they're – you know, they're going to be up there in the top 10, top 20 right now. And even if they don't stay there, mm-hmm. just being there right now is a good thing. The Texas Tech is getting into some re- recruiting conversations that maybe they weren't in, in previous cycles under previous coaches. So I think recruiting-wise, everything's going in the right direction. That'll be the least of the concerns for Texas Tech, in yes. my opinion. There's yes. going to be a lot of things that have to happen right. Like every coach has a lot of variables to go through to win. But one of the things I do think Joey McGuire will do at Texas Tech is get talent there mm-hmm. that is adequate to, to win in a new look Big 12. Yeah, I'm looking at the the 20, you mentioned the 23 class. So, of course, it's early, but I think you can you can project a little bit based on momentum. Um, they're nationally 12th right now, which, again, that'll probably, you know, when everybody else starts yep. hitting their gear and they won't, they you know, they're not going to maybe hold on to all of these guys. But I would not be surprised if this is a top 20 by the time this time next year rolls around. It's a top. We look back and like, man, they had a top twenty or top fifteen class, and I think the best, the most in, uh, encouraging part about that, if I'm a tech fan, look where these guys are from, right? Best yep. from post. Yeah. Uh, you have Amarillo, Wichita Falls, Lubbock, Coronado. Like the, he is, he's making sure if there's a West Texas kid, we're first, second, and mm-hmm. third on his list. Like, again, I don't. Again, it could change, but I don't see Isaiah Crawford 
like four star out of post decommitting from tech, right? Or if he decommits, I think he'll they'll get him back and he'll sign at tech. Like there's something about oh yeah, I can just stay here and play football because that's not always been the kid. That and part of it was Matt Wells didn't market tech that way. That wasn't his. That wasn't what he was trying to do. Um, but I, you can tell that Joey McGuire is like no 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 no. We're roping off West Texas first, and then we'll go from there. And so I think that's gonna be. Uh, proven to be a winning strategy because there is talent out in West Texas that sometimes doesn't get hit hit on as uh, much as hard as it should. And that talent normally leaves, right? And uh, Isaiah Crawford's the type of guy that ends up at Oklahoma or yep. you know A and M or I mean, Texas uh, or something like J- that. Jalen Conyers cycle, at so Groover, getting right? him's a huge deal. Jalen Conyers at Groover, um, he's that's West Texas, right? I'm pretty sure. Um, yep. And so he went to Oklahoma, and uh, I don't know where he is now, but I know. He was an early enroller at, at Oklahoma. Uh, he's at Arizona State now. But still, like you mentioned, that's a guy who should probably be going to Tech. And, you know, the, that's that's going to be the goal for Joey McGuire is making sure that talent doesn't leave. What's next, Mallory? You got anything else? Or was that it? That was it. That was it. All righty. <laughs> well, there you go. You touched on me. Most um, of it. Yeah, like I said, so I hope you enjoyed the interview with Joey McGuire. I hope Tech fans are absorbing every single bit of this guy um, because naturally – Honeymoon's going to be over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tech's not winning the national title this year, so naturally there's going to be some people that aren't satisfied with whatever happens in 2022. Regardless, we think you got the right guy. We think you got the right guy with the right plan. Um, we're hoping this is just another peek behind the curtain for him. Uh, Craven, anything else on Tech and Joe McGuire? Uh, no, I, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of where that quarterback position mm-hmm. shakes yeah. out. Like you mentioned, they got some real talent there. Three guys who uh, who could really, you know, potentially be the the week one starter in 2022 without too much shock, right? If I told you Don, Donovan Smith was starting the first game, I think you'd be surprised, but you wouldn't be shocked, right? Sure. So it'll be interesting to see who wins the quarterback uh, battle there. And, you know, with Texas and OU leaving the Big 12, you know, it's going to be an interesting couple of years as these programs kind of jockey for position in recruiting. Like, who mm-hmm. is going to emerge as kind of the king of Big 12 football recruiting? Is it going to be Baylor? Is it going to be Tech? Is it going to be Cincinnati, Houston? Like, who are the who's going to be in that pecking order of perception that recruiting kind of lets us get a window into? I think that's something that, you know, Joey McGuire has already kind of looked upon and kind of seized upon, and, and we'll see if he's able to, to kind of hold serve because right now you said – you know, they're 12th in the nation. If they can sign a top 25 class, I think that signals a real shift of momentum um, in terms of recruiting for the Red Raiders. Yep, definitely. So we will uh, leave it there. Remember to like, rate, and review all of us on all of the platforms, Spotify, Apple, all that stuff. Uh, I don't know what else people use. Um, We'll be back next week. Again, this is an ongoing thing, so we're not going to drop a hint. I don't know. Craven, do you have a hint of where we're going next? Oh, wait. I actually do know. So do you have a hint? I don't know. I can't think of a hint off the top of my head. Yeah. Mallory, what's that noise that you make when you're talking about your school? Caw! There you go. There's my hand. I can do it myself. I can't make myself do that. I was, about, I was about to say, I was, I was wondering where you are going with that, if you were going to do it. Or you got to have a lot of pride. Make her do it. <laughs> so there you go. There's your hint. Uh, if you know, you know. If you don't, uh, you'll see it next week when we drop that, uh, drop that hint on Twitter. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Mike Craven, you continue to get better and continue to – what's the word to losing – virality i don't know like how do you <laughs> that <laughs> you right there you lessen my contagion right, Less- right right <laughs> i hope to see you back in the office soon uh mallory thank you so much and we will talk to you guys next week